I love that we have a vision that we want to baptize 100 people on the 1st of December. I love that not only that, we are all being trained to walk across the room, to extend a hand and to invite people along on this exciting journey of following Jesus. I do believe God has even more for us. We all felt that during worship and we've seen that build up over the time. So this morning, the passage I'm going to look at is Acts 2 from verse 1. But before we begin, let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, we want more of your power, more of your presence. Thank you, Lord. After Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead at Passover, or the first Easter, as Christians now refer to it, Acts 1 tells us that he showed himself to many women and men over a period of time to prove that he was indeed alive. On one occasion, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. And again, before he went up to heaven, he left them with this instruction, Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then we get to Acts 2 verse 1, and Jesus' disciples and a number of other believers, totaling about 120, are all meeting together. Let's read Acts 2 from verse 1. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time this morning to read through the whole chapter, but I would encourage you to read it because it goes on to tell us how Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, stands up and tells a huge crowd the good news of Jesus and how the Holy Spirit has been sent as our helper. And then we get to Acts 2, verse 41, and the result of that um, uh, preaching of, of Peter is, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I'm going to talk with you this morning about surrendering to the suddenly of the kingdom. First of all, let's look at the word surrendering. To surrender is to give oneself up, as into the power of another, to submit or to yield. In other words, we give up our own ideas of what, how we think things should work, and we do what Jesus wants us to do. Earlier this year, at one of our evenings celebrating our 25 years of St. Albans Vineyard, Mike Villavacci spoke about how we are in a society where we value the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. We are frustrated when we can't get hold of someone 11 o'clock at night, and it is totally unacceptable when someone is not available immediately during business hours. 
I think if I was one of those who saw Jesus go up into heaven, I would want to start the job immediately. I would want that Holy Spirit to come and I would want to start because after all, the task is enormous. There's 120 of us. Jesus has just asked us to reach all those in Jerusalem, then all those in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And this in a time when there's no Facebook, no airplanes, no trains, or even cars. Only way I can see myself doing this is by starting with the calling immediately. When Jesus first called Peter as a disciple, Peter was going about his day-to-day business of being a fisherman. In fact, Luke tells us that he was not having a particularly good day because they hadn't caught any fish on that day. But Jesus calls them and tells them to cast the net out to the other side of the boat. And they catch such a large number of fish that even with the help of other boats around them, the boats begin to sink. When they get to shore, Jesus says to Peter, don't be afraid. I will make you a fisher of men. And then it ends with the words, so they left everything and followed Jesus. When Peter encounters Jesus, the thing that was most important to him loses its value, and he gives it all up in order to follow Jesus. This is his new priority. Look how far Peter has come from that first encounter. He knew there was something about Jesus, and so he surrendered to him. And then, because Peter wasn't perfect, he still failed Jesus. He did the very thing he said he would never do. On the night of Jesus' trial, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. But later, Jesus, in his wonderful mercy, reinstates Peter, and Peter has learned to listen to what Jesus instructs him to do. And so he waits expectantly and patient with the others. When the Holy Spirit comes upon them, Peter is filled with a boldness to speak to thousands. And after his first sermon, 3,000 gave their lives to Jesus. He is the same Peter who denied Jesus. But because he surrendered to the Holy Spirit, God is able to use Peter in a way that he could never have dreamed possible. Just like the first time when Jesus asked him to cast the nets again, and they end up with a catch too big for them to handle. So God adds to their number a vast amount of people. Peter has seen firsthand that you can risk being available to God. He will not call you and leave you out in the wind. God does, however, call us to do things out of our comfort zone. But curiously, we are already prepared for it. On our first flight over from the UK in May 1998, I made my husband promise that it will only be for one year. (laughs) Then, two and a half years later, God brought us to the Southwest London Vineyard, and through an amazing series of events, it became clear that God wanted us to settle in Wimbledon. This was not in my plan. In fact, I had used one of my never statements. I will never settle in this godless country, and I will never have children here. But God, in his infinite wisdom, made us move country. In doing so, 
He removed all the support structures we'd put around us in South Africa. And we had no choice but be totally reliant on him. He has completely changed my heart. All four of our children are born here, and I love living here. I can stand here today and tell you that he truly is the God of Ephesians 3 verse 20, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can even dream or imagine. I was so comfortable living in London. We had great neighbors and friends and a wonderful church. I really felt I could see how this thing was all going to work out. However, a little over two years ago, we found ourselves visiting St. Albans Vineyard Church one Sunday morning in May. And I have to confess, I did not like it at all. <laughs> not because of anything anyone had done, but because I sensed that God was moving us from Wimbledon to Allen. And I was not ready to move again. As angry and sad as I was about moving away from Wimbledon, I had enough history with God to know that he makes things work out better than I can plan. And that he equips me. And we have seen before that if we put God first, all things work out. So that is why we found ourselves at St. Albans Vineyard that morning. During worship, I remember I sat just next to that pole there, which is a good place to hide when you visit. I felt, uh, I just, um, I said to God, I really don't want to be here. I don't think it's the right place for us, and I think you're making a mistake. And then I felt God say, even if I tell you it's the right place, can you hear me? So I said, fine, that's, speak through the children. <laughs> After the service, we collected each of our four children. Our eldest came out saying, Mama, 100%. I said, oh, did you do a test? She said, no, this church gets 100%. <laughs> we went to collect our second one from her group, and she came out saying, Mama, 10 out of 10. And I said, oh, did you do a test? She said, no, this church gets 10 out of 10. <laughs> went to collect our third one, and he said, I never want to go back to our old church. <laughs> and then our, our two-year-old came out, and she loved it. I still don't know exactly how this is all going to work out, but I know from the past and from the promises God has made that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him. And because he is a gracious and a good God, he has given me yet another scripture verse to cling to. Acts 17 verse 26 to 27 reads, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So thank you to Nick, James, and Henry, who did an excellent teaching on Acts 17 over the past three weeks. Surrendering to God is not a one-off exercise. It doesn't just mean moving house or moving country. It's about a daily surrendering and asking God, what is it that he has for you? Not because he needs your help, but because he is a real God and he longs to have relationship with each one of us. And he invites us to join into this privilege of joining in with him and seeing what he can do and how he can change people's lives this side of heaven. Verse two starts with the word suddenly. This can be defined as the quickness of an occurrence, although the event may have been expected. 
This is exactly what happens here. How good is it that God knows what he is doing? As my mom says, he's never too early, but he's never late. The disciples didn't know how or when this gift was going to arrive, or even what it would look like. But they were expecting something to happen. I wonder if they woke up every morning going, I wonder if this is the day. Is this going to happen? Maybe it's a bit like when you're in the last stages of pregnancy. And from about 38 weeks onwards, you wake up every morning and you wonder if this is going to be the day. And then if you're like me and you're two weeks overdue with all of them, you wonder if it's ever going to happen. <laughs> but every day you can feel that new life growing inside of you. And it's clear to the people around you that something is going to happen. It just is tricky to always know what to do in those last days. Do you stay at home? Or do you, which used to drive me insane, or do you just go about your day-to-day -day things knowing that at some point something that you're expecting is going to happen unexpectedly and suddenly? What did the disciples do while they were waiting for Jesus and for what he promised them he would send? They did what they knew to do. They met together and they prayed together. While we wait for God to bring revival to our church and our town and our country, we need to continue to meet together in our small midweek groups and on Sunday mornings, and we need to pray for everybody and anybody, and sometimes they won't even need to know that we're doing it. How perfect is God's timing when he sends the Holy Spirit that first time? The Jews celebrate a festival called Pentecost, so named because it happens 50 days after Passover. They celebrate it every year to commemorate the first time when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses at Mount Sinai, 50 days after the exodus from slavery in Egypt. They were given the law, and they became a nation committed to serving God. On the first Easter weekend, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day, the nations of the world were set free from their enslavement to sin. On Pentecost, they were given the Holy Spirit, and Peter stated that this event was the beginning of a continual outpouring that would be available to all believers throughout, from that point on, Jews and Gentiles alike. When Jesus asks us to do something, it can be inconvenient, and it doesn't always fit in with our timing. When we do it in our own power, we grow tired and we become fearful that the task is too big. But with the Holy Spirit as our helper, we are able to do whatever God wants us to do. During worship at Southwest London Vineyard on a Sunday morning in January 2011, I prayed that God would grant me a year of more emotional freedom, whatever the cost. Immediately after worship, someone came up to me and said that God had given them a word for me, that it would be a year of great sacrifice, but that it would be fruitful. Suddenly, I knew big things were coming. I had no idea what it looked like, but I thought it would be okay because I had spent the last 11 years building up a great network of friends who could support me. However, 
After our first visit at St. Albans Vineyard that, later that year, it became clear to me that what I, would have, what I would have to give up would be all those precious relationships that I had built in Wimbledon. Within three months, my husband started his new job, our old house was sold, we moved into our new house, and the local state school had a place for all four my children. With so much happening in such a short time, I really expected that when we got to our house, God would have a banner over it saying, this is why I've moved you. Two years later, I can see glimpses of what he might be, why we might be here, but it's nowhere near the full picture. It is true that when we look at the things of the kingdom, we often overestimate what God can do in the short term, and we underestimate what God can do in the long term. In Matthew 5, verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and he will give you all these things. We can see clearly here we're looking for God's kingdom should be. It should be the top of our list. When Chris referred to this very same verse a couple of weeks ago, he reminded us of the fact that we should make God's priorities our priorities because then the rest begins to work itself out. Our priority should be to reach the lost. In other words, those people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus himself tells us that that is why he came, to seek and to save the lost. And yet, it doesn't always suit us to do so. And so we ignore it, or we at least pretend that we're doing okay. Maybe you know what God is calling you to do but you keep coming up with excuses of why you can't do it. In Exodus 3, Moses does the same. But then God asks him, what's that you hold in your hand, Moses? And he refers to the staff Moses is holding. And we can interpret that as God asking us, what's that in your hand? What's that immediately in front of you? Is it smiling at someone? Is it cooking a meal for someone? Is it listening to their story? Is it telling someone how you know Jesus? Or is it simply walking across a room, asking a person how their day has been? Maybe you even know what your next step should be, but the task seems too big. And so you find yourself, like Moses, saying to God, couldn't you send someone else? God doesn't just want us to be available. He also wants us to know that we qualify for the job. He can use you as you are. He can use you and me. Neither Moses nor Peter felt qualified when God called them, but look what happened when they put his kingdom first. God's anointing is on us for the blessing of those around us. Whether we like it or not, we are kingdom bearers. You will already have noticed that people notice you. But many of us choose to ignore it. And we pretend it's not happening. If we put God's kingdom first, 
then we will, it will be like a beacon of light to people, and they will feel safe with us. We will have the privilege of having random people sharing their stories with us. And when they do, we can smile, and we can practice what Dennis taught us a couple of weeks ago, saying, really? They will allow us to pray for them because they are desperate to have what we have, a relationship with Jesus. Jesus himself said that the Father is always at work. What we need to do is constantly ask God, what are you doing now and how can I be a part of it? For me, that means always being open and willing to pray for other people. It helps that I have a daughter who wants me to tell a new story every night of how I know that God is real. If you don't have someone to keep you accountable, try and make sure that you have a story of how you've prayed for someone that's no older than a week. My story this week came in the shape of a delivery man who came to our front door limping. After asking for his permission, I prayed for his foot and he left our house with less pain and with the simple thought that God loves him. It is not for me to understand why God would instantaneously heal some random lady I pray for at a, back, at a corner shop and then take weeks and several prayers to heal the back of one of our builders or why years of prayer for a friend still hasn't resulted in what we hoped for. My job is to pray that the kingdom of God would break in and impact my life and the lives of those around me. Not to think of whether I have time, energy, or even faith that God can do as he said he would. The interesting thing is that since I have changed my focus from wondering what that big thing is that God has called us to do here, to just doing what is at hand, praying for people and telling them about Jesus, I have seen more people being healed in the time here than I have ever before we moved to Wellen. The kingdom of God is often referred to as the upside down kingdom. We want God to anoint us in order to bless us. But his is a kingdom where we are called to humble ourselves and serve others. We want to plant trees but God reminds us that his kingdom is like a mustard seed. It starts with the smallest seed and it grows into the largest tree. When we do something small in the name of Jesus, he is able to multiply and grow it far beyond what we can dream or imagine. If you wonder what that looks like, just look at what happened when the Holy Spirit was poured out for the first time. They were filled with love and with power, and people's lives were transformed. In conclusion, when Jesus gives us an instruction, we need to do as he says. If we believe that the Father God is always at work, then there is always something happening. We need to keep being expectant that he will do as he promised, knowing that when his kingdom comes, it will be suddenly. Even though you have expected it to happen, it will still happen unexpectedly. 
the best response to his kingdom coming, and by that we mean God furthering or growing his kingdom, is to surrender to it. Give up your own ideas of how it should look and be open to how God is doing it. I have found that he does not like to be boxed and we cannot predict when or where he will step in. Our job is to continually expect that the unexpected will happen. And while we wait for his kingdom to break into our lives and into the lives of those around us, we should keep doing as he instructed us, always living in the hope and knowledge that any minute now, things could change completely. How we respond to this will determine how much of this we see this side of heaven. The Holy Spirit is here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your power. We're gonna have the band up and we're just gonna continue to stay in this place of worship where we surrender our hearts, expected that suddenly he is going to step in and his kingdom will come and it will transform our lives and it will transform the lives of those people around us. Thank you.